Good morning, wherever you are, and welcome to St. Michael's in the Morning, a podcast series encompassing everything from sermons and services to special audio presentations, brought to you by St. Michael's Episcopal Church in Austin, Texas. For more information or to make a donation to St. Michael's, please visit www.st-michaels.org. Welcome to episode 39 of Calm Words for Anxious Hearts. We've now wrapped up our four-week series on faith, money, and generosity, and so we're going to be shifting gears and starting a four-week series on virtue. And for today's episode, we're not going to talk about virtue per se, but rather why virtue matters. And to introduce this idea of virtue, I want to start by giving us a picture of what the church looks like when virtue is absent. And then for the next three weeks, we're going to narrow our focus to specific virtues. And in particular, we'll look at the virtues of courage, honesty, and surrender. But we'll do that by looking at various stories from the Old Testament. And so that's going to be our plan for these next four weeks. Now, whenever I use the word virtue, I assume you know what I mean. But to give you just a little background, The word virtue derives from the Latin virtus and refers to a form of moral excellence. In other words, a virtue is a trait or a quality that we deem to be morally good, and thus we all value virtue as something we should aspire to attain. Now, whenever theologians and ethicists talk about virtue, they can get really, really technical. There are the theological virtues and the cardinal virtues. All that to say, I'm not concerned with any of that for the purpose of this podcast. Rather, I just assume that we all understand that who we are matters and that we have some say in the sort of person we become in life and that our choices matter because they're formative of our character, right? Choices become habits and habits over time cement into a character, And so what we're really exploring is what choices and habits help us become more fully human, someone who adds more truth, love, and beauty to the world than lies, pain, and harm. And that's a concept that any four-year-old can understand, and so that's all we're really talking about in this series. But to have this conversation about virtue, we have to start with what the church looks like in the absence of virtue. And of course, if we had to sum up that world with a single word, the word I would choose is division. And so to talk about division, about a church where virtue needs to grow, I've decided to take Paul's first letter to the Corinthians as my case study today. Because, you know, whenever people tell me things like, Oh, we Christians have lost our way. If we could just be more like the early church, who were faithful and courageous and virtuous, all would be okay. I always get a little curious because this romantic, nostalgic view of the early church can only be sustained if one is passionately committed to never reading the Bible, and in particular, 1 Corinthians. Because make no mistake, in 1 Corinthians, Paul is dealing with some pretty serious drama and some people who probably would have benefited greatly 
from listening to my podcast. Maybe the next episode is going to be on humility. Okay, so here's a little background that might be helpful to understanding the Christian church in Corinth. This is a church that Paul founded himself. It's a church plant, to use modern language, and it's very diverse. There are women and men, Jews and Gentiles, rich and poor, educated and uneducated. And so within this community, there's sexism, racism, classism, a bunch of other isms that wedge people apart. And on top of that, The Corinthians have a lot of theological squabbles over the same things that we wrestle with in the church today. Spiritual gifts, sex, the Eucharist, whether or not it's okay to eat meat sacrificed to pagan gods, which is very likely to come up at Diocesan Council this year. It's one of the key disputes. Um, Okay, I'm joking there, but the other issues are still relevant in 21st century America. And so my point, the Corinthians, they're all about drama. They're at odds with each other. They're fighting. And by the time Paul writes this letter, they're at odds with him too. And so with that in mind, looking through this lens of drama and egoic selfishness and an utter lack of virtue on the part of the people to whom Paul writes, I'm going to start by reading you a passage from 1 Corinthians. This comes from chapter 1. Now I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you be in agreement, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same purpose. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there are quarrels among you, my brothers and sisters. What I mean is that each of you says, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos, or I belong to Cephas, or I belong to Christ. Has Christ been divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one can say that you were baptized in my name. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to proclaim the gospel, and not with eloquent wisdom so that the cross of Christ might not be emptied of its power. Here ends the reading. Now, perhaps you've woken up to the sounds of birds singing before. If you haven't, it is absolutely annoying. People have compared the birds chirping and you know, speaking and whistling to a symphony. They must be listening to birds much more talented than the ones that live in my backyard. Uh, But that's neither here nor there. What's of interest to me is why it is that birds like to sing in the first place. In fact, it's usually the male bird that sings, and he does this in part to attract a female of his same kind, but more importantly, to tell all the other birds to stay away. In other words, it's a territorial claim. When a bird chirps, what it's saying to the other birds is, This is my tree, or this is my garden, and you don't belong here. And that is exactly what Paul is dealing with in Corinth. There's a lot of noise and squeaking and whistling, and it really all means the same thing. This is my vision of what Christianity is, and if you think differently, you don't belong here. The Christians at Corinth are divided. Different groups are staking out their own territory, and of course, each group thinks that God is on their side. 
And so looking again at our passage that I just read, it seems that Paul has heard a rumor. And this rumor is the reason that Paul writes this letter in the first place. And the rumor comes from Chloe's people. Now, we're not so sure who Chloe is, but she's important, probably on the vestry, maybe even the altar guild, because Chloe has her people. And the root of the drama that Paul hears about is that the people in the church all have a strong allegiance to different teachers. Listen again to a portion of our passage. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there are quarrels among you, my brothers and sisters. What I mean is that each of you says, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos, or I belong to Cephas, or I belong to Christ. Now, it's not that hard to imagine what's going on with this community. Some are claiming allegiance to Paul. After all, he is the founder of the church. Paul is the first one that ever preached the good news to them that Jesus was Lord of heaven and earth. But here's the problem. Paul wrote this letter 20 years after Jesus died and rose from the dead. And Jesus' resurrection was like the Big Bang. It was so powerful that teachers and missionaries and apostles were catapulted throughout the Roman Empire. And just because Paul founded the church, that didn't mean he had the luxury of staying put. Paul was a traveling missionary. He had other churches to plant. In other words, Paul may have been the first Christian teacher in Corinth, but he wasn't the last. Because not long after Paul left, an eloquent and charismatic speaker arrived. His name was Apollos. And according to the book of Acts, Apollos had been converted by some of Paul's friends. Well, Apollos visits the Corinthians, and guess what? A lot of the Corinthians like Apollos' teaching and the way Apollos does things a lot better than Paul. And, you know, Paul may be a gifted writer, but he tells us himself that he's pretty unimpressive in person. Paul's power came from what he had to say, but not from how he said it. But Apollos, he is eloquent and charming. And so some of the Corinthians liked Apollos a lot more than they liked Paul. And where Apollos and Paul disagreed, some would say... Well, I belong to Apollos. But that wasn't all. Some were saying they belonged to Peter, or Cephas, which is his name in Aramaic. Now, we don't know whether Peter ever visited Corinth. My guess is that some traveling Christian preachers had passed through claiming to teach exactly what Peter taught. Because when some were saying, I'm with Paul, and others were saying, I'm with Apollos, Still others were saying, sorry, your vision of Christianity is wrong because I belong to Cephas. But that wasn't all the squeaking and chirping and whistling going on because there seems to have been a fourth party claiming that they were the real Messiah people. In other words, while everyone else was following this leader or that, some were saying, oh, well, you know, I'm just following Jesus. Now, I know this sounds good, but don't be fooled. It's the oldest power play in the history of the church. It's the modern-day equivalent of the person who says, I'll just do what the Lord tells me, and then does whatever they want. Or it's when a person says, I don't need the church, thank you very much, but I just do what the Bible says. 
But if we think it's just that easy, then my guess is that we just haven't read the whole thing. Because the Bible itself says that we need one another and is very unapologetic about that claim. And so do you get a sense of the drama that Paul is dealing with in Corinth? Personally, I find it both sobering and relieving that the early church experienced such division, such drama in its earliest years. And so the question is, why is virtue so important? That's kind of what this whole podcast is about. So why is virtue so important? Why does it matter that we become good people with a good heart? Why is it that Christ must be formed inside of us? And to answer these questions as directly as possible, it's because the gospel is about reconciliation and unity and because virtue is needed to sustain both. No virtue, no real unity. It really is that simple. The gospel is about reconciliation. And remember, behind this passage, behind this letter, behind the entire New Testament is Paul's message of the cross. Because the drama and the division we experience with one another has never been our primary problem. Our drama with one another isn't a problem, it's a symptom. It's a symptom of the drama and the division that we experience with God. And so behind this passage and this letter and the entire New Testament is Paul's message that Jesus' cross has already healed the rift between humanity and God, and that God took the initiative and ended the drama between us and him once and for all so that we might all be united to God and to each other. And if God really did that, what on earth are we doing fighting with one another? That's the question that Paul's asking the Corinthians. I mean, can you hear the blend of anger and sarcasm in Paul's voice? Has Christ been divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? You see, Paul took baptism very seriously because for Paul, baptism was the formal and outward sign before God and one's family and the entire church that someone was leaving their old identity behind and entering a new life with Jesus. Baptism for the Christian was like crossing the Red Sea for Israel during the Exodus. It meant coming out of slavery and into freedom. And so whenever Paul asked rhetorically, has Christ been divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? What he is essentially asking is, are you still a slave? Are you not free? Did you not get the memo? that God has put an end to all drama. And so back to our question, why is virtue so important? It's because we've been baptized into a new family, the family of God. And it is a family marked by reconciliation. And as it says in Ephesians, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, 
when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And so let us not be like the chirping birds, staking out our territory and singing out of key. But like it says in Colossians, let our commitment be to live in harmony with one another. Because as clear as the Bible is that we all wrestle with petty divisions and immature drama in our life, it is even more clear that God's desire and commitment is to see all division and all drama come to an end. But to take that vocation seriously, we need to grow in virtue. And so, that will be our focus in the weeks to come. Let us pray. O God, the Father of all, whose Son commanded us to love our enemies, lead them and us from prejudice to truth. Deliver them and us from hatred, cruelty, and revenge. And in your good time, enable us all to stand reconciled before you. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.